0: to the area. Yannick, stamp through. Chance! Shot! Goal! Full stop! Unbelievable scenes in the end for our derby. goal.
1: Oh!
2: I made stuck! What a oh. goal! Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to heart of Midlothian Football Club. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson.
0: See, if you'd spoken at this speed during the quiz last week in my questions, not just Ryan's questions, I might have had more of a chance to actually get closer to to Ryan's total number of correct answers, but no, no, no. No,
2: I'm, I'm not even going to go there because um, we are we're having a snappy start to this show this week because we've got Andy Webster coming on to speak to, and we we're aware we don't want to take too much time before that, so we are joined again by Ryan McGowan. I will introduce you. Don't worry.
3: Thank you, the reigning quiz champion. I like that. I,
2: mean, I like that said yeah, beforehand, the, you won the last round, so to speak. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't
0: know. If, the, honestly, do you trust him, Ryan? Given the fact that one of the questions. Didn't even have the correct answer. Also true. We
2: we've, yes. we've
0: also true. But
2: to be fair, I followed up and admitted that there was an error and um yes, for those of you who are maybe not on social media, the question about uh, Ryan McGowan ever getting booked in the Derby, Ryan was correct. he did get booked in the Derby. and funny that London Hearts was incorrect. Um, and we have followed up. And Davey Allen um I think is looking at correcting that if he hasn't done so already. So
0: that's r- uh, that's rare though, Laurie, because London Hearts is is the ultimate. Yes. In and where it was it is phenomenal. So look, we all we all make mistakes. Congratulations yeah. to Ryan. Andy Webster coming up. Um a game to review and a game to preview.
2: Yes. Yes. And I mean we all make mistakes. You know, Ryan gives a ball away at Anfield suarez scores and hearts go out of europe so i mean it happens we all make errors every now and and again
3: wow (laughs) low blow (laughs) too soon son
2: too soon waiting for him to to highlight that time that i missed ray throwers getting a red card when i was commenting anyway let's move on or
3: or miss the game for a friend's wedding but we'll continue (laughs) on which one (laughs) yes which one
2: right very quickly Hearts played Rangers. Oh. Um, yeah. So mm. time, as I say, time, time, time. We don't have a lot of time. So let's have a look at it. four changes to Hearts team from the Livingston 11. Uh, Moore, Haring, Janelli, Gary McKay, Stephen coming in. Smith, McInf, Cochran and Woodburn dropping out. The big thing here, Mark, Hearts going to a back four, which I don't think, I think many people were surprised at. I expected them to go to the three, which they generally
0: play at home.
2: Do you understand why Robbie went with that?
0: Yeah, I understand that. I had a game at the same time. Uh, I've watched it back since. But as far as the teams is is concerned, I understand that uh, with Haring and Devlin in front of them. The one thing that really irked me going into the commentary that I was doing was the Liam Boyce chance. It's just, oh, it's just, there's, there's chances you think, oh, well, that was unlucky. That, you probably give him that opportunity, what, 10 times? I think he scores with eight or nine out of them. But unfortunately, that was one of the two that or the one that he, that he didn't get. And oh, what a chance that was.
2: Yeah, Liam Boyce, um, first three minutes through on goal, chipping the ball over McGregor, who pulls off a decent save. But at the other end, first chance for Rangers. Goal, Ryan Kent does well against Moore. Uh, Sakala probably beats Cami Devlin a bit too easily. It's a cool finish from Morelos and then, could have been two moments later before Aribo did add a third when Goldson just sent the ball over the top. From a defensive point of view, this was a bad five or six minutes, wasn't it, Ryan?
3: Yeah, it just seemed that... It sounds silly to say that Hearts started well considering they were 2 nil down after 15 minutes, but it was, a, it was a really good start and then it just seemed to be conceded a goal, which, like you touched on, was soft from a defensive point of view. But then it just they just totally switched off for the next four or five minutes. And um, yeah, I, d- I didn't expect that. I thought that they would have just kind of got back on it, but it it obviously took them a, a bit of a hit. And um, yeah, it was almost two 0 kind of killed the game off. And um, yeah, it's just so disappointing after, like you said, boys with the first three minutes. And, and I think we had four or five consecutive corners and, and putting real pressure on them. So Robbie would be bitterly disappointed with, the starting, or the sort of 15-minute spell, but considering that first seven or eight minutes, Hearts started You know exactly how everyone wanted them to.
0: It's the difference, isn't it, Laurie, between facing a side that isn't one of the top sides in the Premier League or Premiership and, and facing the champions. They're clinical. And I know they went on to, to be profligate in front of goal, as did we, but they were very clinical to begin with. And, and you don't get those chances back and you're 2-0 down, you're chasing a game, your game plan's probably out the window straight away, and and you're playing catch-up.
2: Yeah, but I mean, <clears throat> like you say, Hearts had, had chances. Boy had a few, hit the bar twice, one when it was almost an own goal, another fantastic free kick from Stephen Kingsley off the crossbar. But, you know, from a, a positive point of view, if you want to look at it, Alan McGregor made eight saves. Yeah, He'd only, he'd only made 13 in his previous nine league games this season combined. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought he had a very good game. I think both goalkeepers had had very good games. Um, but it was one of those games. At the end of it, I was like, yeah, dissect some of the poor defending uh, bits where we could have done things differently. But it was one of those games where I, was like, I don't think it's one where you can go out and say we played poorly. You know, for big no, for, for big spells, we had Rangers under a lot of pressure.
0: Yeah, and I want to look bigger picture here. I'm aware it's like probably Friday, Saturday, when most people are listening to this. The game was like a week ago or five days ago. Let's look big picture at this. And if you'd said to us um, prior to the games against Celtic at Celtic Park and Rangers at Tynecastle that we would play the way that we did, forget the results because I know we didn't get any points. But I think, I think it's shown that we are progressing as a team and as a squad in that we're frustrated to take nothing from, from those two games. Um, but over the piece, I thought we more than matched Celtic in the second half. And for long spells in that game, um, we're more than the match of Rangers. And at times, we're, we're better than them. So I think this is just one of those, anything you get, unless you're a, a kind of title challenger, which, which we are not, we want to finish third, ideally, but anything you get from the old firm is a bonus. Now we didn't get anything, but what we did get from the two performances, I think, is evidence that we are improving a lot as a team. But we have to kick on from that. And the bread and butter is is Dundee at Dens Park this weekend. You're not going to you're you're not going to kind of get Rangers and Celtic. You're not going to take twelve points out of twelve from them um, every season. But the teams like Dundee, where we've already dropped points against at home. Those are the type of games, when you go there, that you need to pick up the three points.
2: Indeed. I want to quickly just touch on refereeing in this game. I thought Nick Walsh had a very poor game overall. I thought he was desperate to, to flash cards, didn't really manage Alan McGregor's time-wasting very well. I thought he'd given him his last warning in the first half. And then when he finally trotted over in the second half to, to the ironic cheers he was getting his card, he then signalled... That's your last warning. I think it was 15 minutes to go. He eventually booked him. But in saying that, as much as I thought he was poor with a lot of the way he managed the game, I'm going to ask you about two decisions, Ryan. Red card for Janelli. If he's got the yellow card, I thought the first yellow card, he was a bit quick to show that. But when you're on a booking, do you sprint over to square up to a player at the sideline?
3: I think he just has to be a little bit, a little bit more switched on in that situation. If you're not on a yellow, then... Not a problem. Get over there and help your teammate. But even if, if you're on a yellow, you just, you don't, I feel like you don't go in the way that he went in. It's easier for me to say. I'm not one that gets caught up in the moment on the pitch, but <laughs> I would try and be a little bit more um, cute in the terms of, of how yeah. I was doing it. But um, especially if yeah. you know it's a
2: referee who is flashing yeah. cards yeah. For, as, as often as he can.
3: And I think probably that's part of the. It, part of probably his frustration is how it was being reffed in terms of why he did go running over there. But it was was probably comes under the sort of needless category in terms of, you know, you're already on a yellow, maybe let someone else go charging in there. And and if you are going to go in there, then just, you know, keep from a distance and maybe shout a few things, you don't have to get in there
2: fully. And Mark, I know, you, I know what your answer is to this, but I'll let you explain it because you are the, the big one for knowing the rules and the laws of the game and the updates. There was a lots of fans sharing the penalty claim when Gary Mackay Stephen cuts it back and it hits off the hand of Connor Goldson. I, I know what my view on it is, and that's definitely not a penalty, but I know a lot of people did not believe that was the case. And why is it not a penalty, Mark?
0: There's a couple of reasons why it's not a penalty um, and a third of which proximity would be taken into account as well. The body shape was deemed natural as opposed to unnatural. It wasn't making himself bigger. Not every time a ball strikes a hand, an arm, it's a penalty inside the penalty box. But in the defence of those who make these proclamations, that's a disgrace, that's not given us a penalty or whatever else, and they don't 100% know the actual law of the game or, or the tweak. The way that a lot of the laws are worded is horrible. And I'm sure FIFA would would admit that themselves, IFAB. And they actually took out 10,000 words from the laws of the game over the last 12 to 18 months to try and make things a little bit clearer. And they've just made things even more confusing in some instances. It wasn't a penalty. And I, I think as well, when you look at something like that, your first instinct's usually right if you know what you're looking for. And I had to look at that a couple of times. I didn't even see it the first time. No, um, did and did you no. no, and then when you look at it back, you think, no, nah, no, it's, it, it's not. You, you've got to take the blinkers off. And it was like, it was like last night as well. And, and speaking of Nick Walsh and then the referee last night at Ross County against Celtic, fans just now claim for everything because players claim for everything. And I don't know how many players that play the game um, have a good knowledge of the actual laws of the game. I don't think it's very much, but that's not a criticism of them no. because um, you know what you need to know. But when it comes to handball, they keep tweaking it. I fab. Make it simple, and no wonder people are confused. For me, it's not a penalty, and I was com- I was comfortable with that decision, but not comfortable with a number of other decisions. Yeah, I think it's the fact that they
2: the way it's worded now. Although they talk about making your body unnaturally bigger, it does now say um, when the position is not a consequence or justifiable by the player's body movement for that specific situation. So your hand can be out. You can make your body bigger if it's. Naturally, because you're running, you're moving around. And I think in that instance, you know, he's closing down a player. Hands don't. I think that was because everyone went through this phase of having to put their hands behind their backs because of the way it was worded. I think that's why they changed that, wasn't it? Because your hands can be out as long as you're not throwing them out towards the ball. So
0: yeah, just one one final point about that, and, and it's in defense of the of the supporters that are confused by something they see one week is given one way, and something yes, very similar true. they see the next week is given another way. What chance have any of us got when there's a lack of consistency among officials as mm-hmm. to what is or what isn't? And then you also see former refs which that really gets my goat how some referees who A referee 20 years ago Are asked to comment on a decision When they don't even know The current laws of the game are When you get former refs That come out and disagree On what the decision should have been What chance do the supporters have?
2: Okay Let's move on We are delighted this week To be joined by A former Hearts star And a former Hearts Cup winner Mr Andy Webster How are you doing?
1: Fine, thanks. Who's who said they were delighted? Ryan. I'm very <laughs> delighted to have you on, mate. I've been i te-
3: I've been trying to get you on for ages and they weren't having you. So I was delighted that they finally oh, 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 you oh, on. Oh,
1: oh.
0: He wins a quiz one week and then suddenly he's like cock of the North. Come on
2: now. How were things with you just now, Andy. W- working away uh, west side of the country just now, weren't you?
1: Yeah, fine. Just obviously, under eighteen season is just finished up for Christmas, so um, yeah, I think everybody's looking forward to a little bit of a break um, and some festive time, and then back at it next week or the week after.
2: Yeah, we we won't hold it against you that your your current employers are St. Mirren, but you managed to you, you came on hearts you came on Hearts TV the other week and you managed to find a good balance, I think, between um, honouring your your former employers and the team that you were. Probably the most successful at and not annoying your current employers.
1: Yes, yeah, that's called being diplomatic. <laughs> I'm, of, <laughs> yeah. I'm, actually, I'm actually doing no score prediction as well, which saved me any earache.
2: <laughs> were you as diplomatic back when you were in the centre of defence and trying to get Ryan to do what he was told?
1: Yes, I was. I was uh, always very candid with my approach and uh, quite <laughs> matter of fact and, and straight to the point, so people knew what was expected. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, you hey, could we'll, put it that way. Put it that way.
2: <laughs> we will. We will obviously talk about your your time at Hearts, and uh, I'm sure Ryan will help you reminisce about some of the the good times at that uh, during your time at the club. But I guess we'll go back a little bit earlier. First of all, because you started your career with Arbroath, where you made your debut at 17. So you made 24 appearances for the Red Lichties before you moved to Hearts in 2001. A question that's come up quite a few times in this podcast in different contexts is the benefit of footballers getting game time um, in the lower leagues maybe rather than playing reserve football when they hit a certain age. Do you think that helped you develop quite a bit, getting games at that level? Because I think our both were around the championship actually, or second Scottish First Division about that time, weren't they?
1: Yeah, they would have been, so the equivalent nowadays, they would have been in the league one. Um, yeah, so I think I mean, I won't bore you with too much details, but Jason Wilcox at Man City did a study saying if you if you made your first team debut at the age of seventeen, you had a higher chance of playing Champions League football up to the quarter final stages. Not that i ever got to that level, but I can understand the importance of playing senior football. So yeah, it definitely gives you a better a better ground in playing playing with senior players and playing against senior players.
2: Yeah, so you signed for Hearts uh, two thousand and one reported £75,000 transfer. How did that come about? Because I think Dundee United were also quite interested in you at that point.
1: Yeah, so I'd obviously made my debut at Arbroath when I was younger, but then I got a bit more of a consistent run. I remember from like the January to the March, and I played in an, I played in an outstanding Arbroath team, and ultimately going on to win promotion. But I played people like Craig, Craig Hinchcliffe, played in goals. I played in between like George Rowe, who played at a really good level? Jim Thompson was at a really high level as well in terms of playing and experience in the in the lower league. So I was really fortunate enough to play with these players. And because I was doing fine, I remember I had I had the opportunity to go on a couple of trials. I went down to Charlton when they were in the English Premier League and trained with them for a few days. And also got the opportunity to go to Hearts and train with them for a few days. So just gave me a bit more of an insight into what the kind of that those levels looked like so the ability the the chance to move to Hearts probably came about one from being on trial but two I always distinctly remember we were playing Queen of South at home on a a winter's day in January at Gayfield and you can imagine how pleasant that was (laughs) so the game was 37 minutes old the pitch was frozen it was torrential rain, the game got abandoned, but that was the day Craig Levine came to watch me playing, and obviously he'd been scouts there previously as well, but that was the day he'd, he'd made his mind up um, that he wanted me to sign for the football club. So, obviously, once that starts to get out, Dundee United showed a bit of interest at the time as well. They were they were willing to, to pay a fee and get me there. I think the deal with them would be I would stay at our for the rest of the season and hopefully help them get promoted and then join Dundee United the following season. And Alex Smith was a manager at Dundee United. So I went and spoke to him at Tannadice. And what he said to me was, you know, stay out of both, hopefully get a promoted, join us in the summer, maybe spend like a couple of years in the reserves and then we'll see how you're getting on. And whether it's being young and naive, I was like, two years in the reserves? I'm not sure about that. So I had a conversation with Craig Levine as well when I was at Hearts. He says, if you're good enough, you're old enough. And I was like, right, that's me. So I made my mind up quite early that... I wanted to join Hearts, just probably that was the main factor in it. If you're good enough, you're old enough. And as sure as fate, when I joined in the March, I played a handful of games before the end of the season. I think
2: it was April 2001, 18 years old, debut at Celtic Park. Were you nervous about that when you came on for Kevin McKenna?
1: I don't know, I don't know if you would be nervous being 18, never having played the Scottish Premiership, away to the weight of the champions and going on playing against Henrik Larsson. I don't know what would make you nervous about anything like that, but um, no, I was just delighted. And I think that's the bit, again, like if you're good enough, you're old enough. Craig Levine had a habit of doing that with younger players, just kind of yeah. throw them in. So, no, I, I distinctly remember that as in, I think I went on nearer the end, and I always remember Lerner Miracic going to take a corner and he addressed it with his right foot, and then he went, nah, not for me. Went and addressed it with his left foot and just whipped it in with his left foot. I thought, yeah, that's a different level of uh, quality that you're dealing with. So, um, no, it was, it was a great a great occasion, obviously, for me. Um, having just exactly a year before, giving up my paper round. And then one year later, being <laughs> at Super unbelievable.
2: Um, by the time you turned 21, you'd actually had more than 50 senior appearances for Hearts. I wanted to take you back to one particular game, though, because... I don't know if you feel the same way about this, but this is the game where I felt you you were almost, you became a first team re- regular because of the circumstances of this game. And you actually play in the game and you play most of the game, but you miss the first 17 minutes of it. And you're probably glad you missed the first 17 minutes of it because it's 25th of January, 2003, Falkirk against Hearts in the Scottish Cup third round. So you're on the bench. It's McKenna playing with Presley in this game. And I remember listening to this game on the radio, and it's one of the most, Astonishing, in a bad way, Hearts games I can remember listening to because Falkirk were in the first division and they're a decent side, Colin Samuel and I think mm-hmm. Mark Kerr was coming through, Lee Miller etc at the time but they go 3-0 up in 17 minutes over Top Flight and a Top Flight Hearts team who were doing well under Craig Levine so you come on 19 minutes for Stephen Boyak. Do, do you remember much about this game?
1: Yes, I remember having a real positive impact because we ended up 4-0 down about a minute later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do remember that. I remember obviously Boyak coming off and me going on. I do remember the team talk at halftime as well from Craig Levine which he didn't mix his words. I can't remember the seating order, but I remember the three of us in a row. It was I. It was myself, Big Kev, and Stampy. And I don't know which order it came in. But Craig Levine had a few choice words to say to Kev at halftime. And uh, to be fair to Stampy, he said he spoke up a wee bit. And obviously I was. Best mates, with came. I just kind of turned and faced the opposite direction and thought, I'll just leave him to it. Um, so I, it wasn't, it wasn't a pleasant experience. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, yeah, nothing that day went right and everything went wrong.
2: It sort of thrust you into the team a more because although you'd played plenty of times, it was after that game that you and Presley became almost the first choice. I think Kevin McKenna was on the bench quite a bit after that, or he started being used more as the auxiliary striker. DeVries was out or whatnot, so it kind of did put you into the fold as first pick. I, from what I, from what I think back to that was a game where it's like, well, suddenly Webster's our Webster's our first our, our first choice to go along with Presley at the back.
1: Yeah, and, he's, and this is the nature of the beast with football as well, where you need to thrive in that environment, and obviously you need to perform as well. So. I don't distinctly remember, like, I also remember the game, but I don't distinctly remember going, oh, that's career-defining or oh, that was me then established and whatever else. But you just, well, I think when you're living it, you just take it as it comes. Um, and maybe when you reflect back, you can say that these things had a, a major impact.
3: Re- reflecting back on that, Webby, do you think playing alongside Presley helped you in your career in terms of, you know, obviously being that sort of young centre-back coming through and having that experienced player beside you?
1: Absolutely, I think he had the he had the joystick, and I was I was the pawn, and all that. He just directed <laughs> me around. He said, "Do this, do that." Reminds me of
3: something there, though.
1: Yeah, just <laughs> I wonder where I picked that up from. <laughs> i I'll, even going back to the original time when I was at Hearts as well. Elvis was outstanding. Even when I went on trial, he picked me up at the hotel, he dropped me off, he made sure I was all right. So, in terms of being a captain and a captain and a leader, he was out, outstanding. You know, people. He, <laughs> It's hard when you come across people in, in, in life or in your football career where you turn around and you look at somebody and you go, yes, like when you've got them next to you, whether it's your teammate and you just... So he was, he was, he was unbelievable for me in terms of how to live your life as a footballer, the levels of dedication, the sacrifices you have to make because I think Elvis would openly admit this as well. I'm not sure he could do 10 keep pickups up to his left foot, but see in terms of the art of defending and the willingness to defend... Put your body on the line, head off, tackle, be aggressive, be commanding—all these qualities that you need to be a centre back. I definitely became a product of my environment.
3: Would he be someone that takes you aside and and says these things, or was he more, uh, you know, does it and and you just follow? You were just watching him and and learning off him, or did he sort of take you aside and say you need to do this, this, and this? Or was it a bit uh, of both? Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. I think the bit the bit on the pitch as well would be quite matter of fact and straight to the point. And I remember obviously Elvis was getting a wee bit older and maybe it run slightly quicker. He'd be like, Andy, you must be around, which basically meant, can you cover me in case everything <laughs> goes in behind? Which was like, he, was, he was absolutely, he, he just knew and his experience told him but absolutely advice, whether it was life, whether it was the football aspect of it, always had time to give you that, pass on that advice.
0: What would you say would be the main thing that you learned from him? That stood you in good stead in your career,
1: probably is like his appetite for defending. Whether it was in training, whether it was in games, and probably on that as well is is his mindset. Do you know, like a really strong mindset. He never wavered. You know, he no. never went into a game going. Or oh, he's he's like you know, it's like if you're a coach or a manager or a, a captain within a group or you're a senior player as well, people look to you for that guidance. Never can I ever remember him going, I'm not sure he's at it today or I'm not sure he's up for it or I'm not sure that his leadership's at where it should be and stuff. And I always always thought, as I say, his, like, his ability to be consistent with that and his will and his, just his sheer will and determination yeah. was, you know, was a quality in itself.
2: Yeah, I think he he almost thrived when you know some you know you see some players maybe hide or 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 you know shirk the responsibility when the times are tough, but he almost seemed to thrive in it, didn't he? And on um we do a little, we've started a little offshoot on on this, this podcast looking back at different kits, and we were talking about oh five oh six and the away kit, and uh, I said the image I always think of the away kit that season epitomised that team and epitomised Presley when he'd scored an own goal. We were 2-0 down away to Falkirk and it looked like, looked like the wheels had come off and what does he do? He goes and scores two goals at the other end to get us a point. I think it was a, a lovely still of him celebrating.
0: Um, and he, 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 claims a, he claims a hat-trick in that game as well.
1: Yeah. yeah. Why not? That was I mean? at Falkirk, I remember that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Craig got sent off and uh, yeah,
2: Banks had to come on, but... Um I mean looking back I mean I suppose that leads us nicely into the Romanov era you you know by the time by the time this all came about you were quite well established you are you were in a Scotland team um but I'm looking back to you know July 2015 you actually scored the goal in a pre-season friendly against Middlesbrough and that's when you first see the likes of scachel Fisas Jankowskis, Bednar playing what was what was that spell like when Romanov had first come in and all these players were arriving?
1: Yeah, I think just to go back to the middles a game. I've, I tell my kids all the time, I've, I've, I've dominated the England manager at a corner, and they still don't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right, yeah. So, no, I think on that, just the club. When I mean, when I first joined Hearts, obviously it was like a transitional period in terms of had done unbelievable well, like won the Scottish Cup in ninety eight and then probably trying to compete with Rangers and Celtic. So when Craig Levine came in, it was transitional in terms of recruiting younger players and players from lower leagues and all that type of stuff, which was really successful as well. And then going back to the bit of God, we're starting to compete again. So the level, the calibre of players who walked through the door was at a whole different level. And even in terms of being able to bring in like somebody like George Burley as the manager, mm-hmm. it just, you could just tell the club was heading in a total different direction, which was great to be part of.
0: Come back to that Middlesbrough game, Andy, I remember being at the game, commentating on the game, and I don't know, I'd never seen Roman Bednar before, but he got taken off at half-time after a first-half display that was ridiculously good, because there were three checks playing that day, him, Pospisil, and, and Skancho. But can you remember the player that came on for Bednar at half-time, because Burley didn't want too many people knowing too much about him, because he wanted to sign him himself. But who was the player that replaced Bednar at halftime in that game you scored? Good question. Um, did we go on to sign him? Ooh, he was one of the lifts.
2: I, I, I was going to guess it would be that Rimkevicius, which we <clears throat> wouldn't have signed, but I
0: don't know if that was him. I think he played at some point. Honestly, you must be shite when it comes to the drama for pub quizzes and everything like that, because you just like <laughs> give the answer and then... Piss. Come on, at least build up the drama. Yeah, it was from Kevichus. and uh, <laughs> never got sorry. I mean, come on now, come on.
2: I probably saw it when I was when I was looking back at the games that Andy played. But you mentioned <laughs> Burley. What what was he like, um, Andy? Because we've Robbie Nielsen spoke quite a bit about him and his his approach was was quite interesting to listen back to in a lot of these games.
1: Yeah, I just I think. <laughs> And this is a little bit as well. So the first time I ever met George Burley was, we were at Mahoy. I think, we maybe like a golf day and stuff. And I was like, I'd started to make my position clear at the, the, the football club about at some point, I'd like to maybe experience something different. And I'll we'll touch on that in a wee bit. But um, so we we're up in the long weekend. So my very first interaction with him, I was just like, yeah, at some point I'd like to leave. And he's like, Pardon? Like, what's going on? <laughs> uh, well, he was, he was George, George Bully was outstanding. Do you know what he was excellent at? He made you feel invincible. He just, mm-hmm. he was quite dismissive of the opposition. So we'd meet at Dal Mahoy for like pre-match meal and stuff, and he'd go through a, another team. And it doesn't matter which team it was as well, but he'd go through their back four and he'd be like, ah, rubbish, <laughs> rubbish. Rubbish um, Rubbish
2: Robbie uh, used a different word But yeah uh, <laughs> I wanted
1: to check If
0: yeah. you'd say the same thing
1: Oh aye uh, Just really dismissive And you're like Yes And he says Basically he always used to say And he was absolutely right If we're at it we'll win And I was like That's a that's a great place to be As a manager And obviously as a team as well So yeah He was really dismissive Which I really enjoyed I was like yeah They just give you that Sense of confidence And kind of a bit of an Air of invincibility Going Aye uh, he's right They are rubbish Right we're going to beat them
0: we, We've had a few from that team on. And there's mixed uh, viewpoints as to would Hearts have won the league or not. It's totally subjective and it's we'll, we'll never find out. It's hypothetical. What do you think? Did, did Hearts have the players and the squad? Could you cope with one or two injuries to go on and challenge closer for the league and, and go on and win it?
1: It would have been nice to have found out through a bit more like a, a consistency in terms of you know, obviously the manager leaving and, and whatnot. But I always remember the, the sort of defining game for me in that season was Celtic at home, where I think yeah. sure Stephen, Pearson, Stephen Pearson, yeah, Stephen Pearson yep. came on at halftime and changed the game. And they, I'm sure it was like Stephen McManus shanked the ball into the corner. You know, when you watch a ball rolling really slowly and you're like, yeah, I know what's going in. So mm-hmm. I always remember that as like the sort of the defining point in that season where we kind of lost our way a wee bit after that.
2: In terms of the kind of interference, when was the first signs for you that, that things weren't kind of right um, in, in that sense? You know, was it before Burley had left? Was it under Ricks or was it much earlier than that?
1: I think with the Burley situation as well, you know, the team had had the best start to a season for decades. And then when you get the bit where the wind gets taken out of your sail and you go, why is that? Like, it doesn't, it's, it's not, there's no logic and it. it doesn't make sense Where you think, had an unbelievable start, the team was performing at a really high level, winning loads and loads of games consistently, and you go, why would somebody do what they did? But I don't know, obviously, the, the ins and outs of the reasons why you left, but I, I remember because people like Roman and Rudy and Mikel Pospisil as well were really friendly with the backroom staff as well. And I'm sure one of the rumours was that maybe two or three weeks after Burley had left, they'd uh, been on the phone asking if i come back again.
3: What was the dressing room like when when that news kind of broke? Was it a bit of disbelief? Was it a bit of what the hell was going on? Or was it more a case of it doesn't matter who's in charge, we'll just try and fire on ourselves being part of that dressing room?
1: I think when your team's doing really well, the last thing you expect is your manager to go. So I think disbelief, but then I go back to Elvis as well, just like fronting these things up. So... Remember, even distinctly remember, obviously, the, the, the facilities at Rickerton have changed now, but standing at the front door to the to the building as well, like fronting up the media and stuff and having to be the face-off and just everybody else just going, what's going on? But then ultimately, your job as a footballer is to perform on the pitch. But I think I remember maybe one or two games after that, we went to Easter Road and we didn't play well and you just, you just felt a bit disillusioned with it.
2: In terms of yourself, from obviously that team starting the season so well, buzzing, winning games, how does it go from that to us having a Wikipedia page titled Webster ruling, which gets referenced every now and again when the likes of Neymar was going to be leaving his contract, what happened in between between to get to that point?
1: Yeah, I spoke to Neymar on it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hope you got a good fee. 10%,
1: 10%, I think it was. it was. Was it 250 million? So, um, so I think I think could go back to the George Burley scenario. When, and probably even previous to that as well. When I first joined Hearts, it was unbelievable. Like the group was unbelievable. There was two bits to my first time at Hearts. It was the bit under Craig Levine, which I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed. The, the group was so together on paper. We probably we probably not a team that people would look at and go, wow, well, we're full of great individuals. But as a team, we functioned at a really high level. So I really enjoyed that. And then when Krieg Levine went to Leicester, I was like, this doesn't last forever. So it kind of started then when I was like, at some stage, I'd like to try something else. And then I go fast forward to when George Bully came in. I said to him at the start as well, same same conversation. At some at some stage, I'd like to potentially try something else. Now that didn't mean that I wasn't I wasn't committed to the cause. I just said at some point. Now, if you remember back to that season, I think Rudy won player of the month in the first month and I'd won <laughs> it in the second. So Having had that conversation with George Bully, it wasn't as if my performances dipped or tailored off. But going fast forward in a wee bit, obviously they wanted me to sign a new contract. And the, and this is good because obviously I can speak from experience. So for instance, there'd be scenarios like we'd be staying at Dalmahoy the night before an Edinburgh Derby, and we'd have our evening meal. Now, if, if, I'm sure everybody will remember, like Roman Romanov was part of the hierarchy of the football club, along with Pedro Mendes. So after our evening meal, people just kind of retire back to the rooms, do whatever they need to do. So after the meal, Pedro and Roman said to me, oh, can we speak to you? I says, yeah, absolutely. So we go for a lot like anybody who knows Damahoy, the little putting green next to like the first tee on the big course. So we're just walking around there and saying, oh, Andy, you know, you, you want to play tomorrow And the anybody? Derby? He says, yeah, absolutely. Okay, you sign the contract. I says, I've made my position clear. I'm not signing a contract. And I think that they thought, Without, it would incentivise and go, yep, I'll do this because I want to play, but I'd made my position quite clear to the football club previously, and whether you call it stubbornness or whatever else you want to call it, because I'd made my mind up, there was no real way of changing that, and then obviously that led to the, the tail end of that season, which ultimately was really successful for the football club.
0: As part of the, the Webster ruling page on on Wikipedia, there is a line that says in July 2005, Rangers were credited with an interest in Webster and the player requested permission to speak to them, but this was refused. Is that true?
1: No, because I think, like see when you get that type of speculation, you'll find that clubs are interested. So even at the tail end of the 2006 season, um, and then going back for pre-season, you know what football's like as well. You hear rumours of teams being interested in this, that, and the other, and it just it never got to the stage where where the club says, "Yep, yeah, we'll absolutely accept the bid or this, that, and the other." So it's, it's much it's like be like back to my time of growth, you know, going to the days of newspapers and stuff. But you pick up the newspaper and you see A, B, and C Premiership clubs coming to watch Andy Webster. They're really interested. D and F from Scottish Premiership Club are coming to watch Andy Webster, but and they end up at like. A different club as well, so in terms of speculation I think that it is what it is um, but in terms of being accessed or being able to speak to other clubs that was never never, um, was never was allowed.
2: If you could go back would you do it differently? How it ended?
1: I think because of the position I'd made i made the club aware, so previous to that, I remember also Phil Anderson was, I think was the chief exec for a period of time as mm-hmm. well like they all knew my position at the football club, so it wasn't out of badness. It was just, as I say, going back to the Beans period when I was like, at some stage, I'd like to try something different. So, on that, as much as it was disappointing, you obviously think finishing second, which was an unbelievable achievement for Hearts, and winning the Scottish Cup, which is another unbelievable achievement for Hearts. I think some things as well. You have to be, you have to be kind of balancing that out in terms of how does that then impact your career moving forward, and if these things didn't happen, would you allow to get the next bit? And I'm sure it's something we'll probably speak about a little bit later as well. But in terms of once i made my mind up, then that was it. Whether it was right, wrong, good, bad, or indifferent, I'd, I had, and, that, and whether, as I say, whether you call it stubbornness or whether you, you call it good, I think one thing you find as well when you talk about all these things and you look back, you see that the wheels were starting to come off before. So because I was probably one of the, well, the first, to instigate going, I want to leave this football club. It probably happened systematically over the next few years as well.
0: Mm-hmm. How did it come about, Andy? Who was the first person that made you aware, or was it you, that something like this was possible? It well, definitely wasn't me. I'm not i am not one for reading the FIFA article. I um,
1: <laughs> so, okay. spoke to PFA Scotland, who had Tony Higgins at the time, Fraser Wisher, and Michelle Evans. And obviously, Tony went on to represent FIFA as well, or FIFA Pro, so... Yeah, I've just had to seek advice and obviously the legal side of things as well. With that, and obviously having a better understanding and with my agent as well, then realised what options were available. Now, probably the options were in that circumstance and the way I did it was quite extreme, but the circumstances I found myself in were also quite extreme.
3: Was there ever a possibility of you just signing a contract and backing someone to buy you, or was that just you just wanted to move at the, at the end of that summer? You know, when wow. they were saying to play in the derby and, you know, the team yeah. was doing well, was there a part of you that just thought, oh, do you know what, I'll just sign this contract and no, hope I think, that someone embossed me?
1: Yeah, I, I, yes, that was a possibility. But I think if you if you were on the inside of that football club at the time and you know what football's like as well for hearing murmurings and stuff, the contract that they were offering me was nowhere near the levels in terms of finance in comparison to everybody else. So if you go back to the Graham Ricks scenario as well, one of the first things he said when he came in, he says, I can't believe they got you on the contract that you have. We'll need to do something about that. But to do something about that to the levels now, if you go back, Laurie said as well, an established international footballer. And I just, you know, it's like you hear murmurings of what other people are earning and what other people get paid and all that type of stuff as well. So in terms of that, it wasn't really necessarily about the money because obviously it was a salary increase. But I never really thought, well, if I sign this contract, it's to do with the money. It was more to do with the ability to play football and be at the highest level. Now, if you think, if I'd signed a contract, who's to say that these things wouldn't have reared their ugly head not that much further down the line? And who's to say <laughs> that I could have signed a contract and they still get treated in the same manner as well? So I, I didn't, there was, a di- there was absolutely a, a disconnect in terms of lack of trust of the hierarchy of the football club. And it, when I didn't trust what they were saying and didn't believe in what they were doing or how they were conducting themselves and stuff. I just, I, I just, I just couldn't do it. If I'd signed the contract, I knew I wouldn't be being through it myself, and it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have sat right.
0: Gowans throw Webster there. Webster again.
2: so obviously you did move on um maybe didn't get quite as much game time as you would like um for the next two clubs like wigan and then you were you were at rangers reignited things a little bit dundee united had a great spell there won the scottish cup in in 2010 uh, then in february 2011 after you became a free agent from rangers four and a half years after leaving hearts you would return to the club with rumors rife that Hibbs were also trying to sign you Uh, how did the return come about were there any doubts in your mind about coming back and were the hibs rumors was there much in that
1: yes so i I put in give a little bit of context this it was the last day i was sitting in the the training ground at rangers and it was the last day of the transfer window it was maybe about two o'clock and walter smith god rest his soul pulled me in to his office and said to me by the way hibs are interested in you do you want to go and it totally, you know, like I have touched on earlier as well, when you say you hear stuff in football, well, I'd never heard that up until that point. And it just came out of the blue. And I'm like, not sure. So like, if, for instance, and it obviously transpired that way, if it had been Hearts and I knew the football club and obviously Jim and Billy were there as well, I'd have no issues. And I was like, Hibs. And it was the only one really on the table at the time. So, just a bit of common courtesy as well. I remember going to Hibbs' Training Ground and speaking to Colin Calderwood just to give him his place because I felt it was the right thing to do with never really any intention of signing, but just, as I say, a bit of common courtesy. Somebody wanted to speak to me, so I was quite I was happy to speak to that person, obviously not the club. But, um, yeah, so that came about and then ended up back at Rangers Training Ground that night signing like my release paper. So, hence the reason I was to able to sign out with the transfer window.
2: So you left at 23, came back at 28. Jim Jeffries signed you. Six months later, he was gone. Was there a feeling at all of, here we go again?
1: There was a feeling of that when I walked. Obviously, the, the, main, the main standard thing, Castle's totally changed, but the offices, the office block that used to be, mm-hmm. I remember sitting in there or being in there and the deal in the process of being done. So... Myself and my agent were in there, like the manager was in there and we're just, everything's fine, yep, everything's sorted. So sure as fate, I don't know if you get the fact, facts is an old style of communication, but something came through saying from Vladimir Romanoff, we need Andy Webster to read this statement out. So I was like, right, let me have a look. So <laughs> it, it, it said, now think about obviously the circumstances in which I left the football club, it basically said along the lines of, to paraphrase it, I was really stupid. My agent caused havoc and I shouldn't have done what I did. And I'm really sorry for doing it. So I was like, I'm not saying that. And if that's <laughs> the case, I'm quite happy to walk out the door. And Jim just put his head in his hands, going, Oh, for sake. And I'm like, that, That's a deal breaker. Because I, I didn't, if I'd, if I'd believed in it or reflected on it and said, You know what, I've actually made a mistake. And I might have done it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not naive enough to go. Well, maybe shouldn't have done this, and maybe shouldn't have. I made a decision whether I got a right or wrong is for other people to judge. But that was nearly so, not even, I didn't even sign the contract. And I was already in the process of walking out again. But um, <laughs> I think that was the kind of label that like, so Jim was having to deal with um, probably on a daily or weekly basis.
2: You played under Craig Levine, John Robertson, George Burley, Graham Rickswell, that's even Eskis, Jim Jeffries. Uh, that's not even including some of the. Very short interim managers you had at hearts. Paulo Sergio came in. What was the, the feeling around the club then? Because it was a very tricky period off the
1: field. I always remember like Paulo coming in as well. And he like he was quite I relaxed as in terms of a human being. So he said to the guys one of the initial meetings, Yeah, you can, you know, because obviously, as a marker respect, and Gowser will know this as well. We like a manager comes in, you call him like gaffer or boss, Paolo's like, yeah, you know, if you want to call me boss, call me boss. If you want to call me Paolo, call me Paolo. And I always remember Arvidas. Now, Arvidas would have been young at the time. He's like, Paolo, Paolo. And I'm like, (laughs) "Ah, this guy's the manager of the football club and you're like, Paolo and him. So I was like, no. And one of the other things that Paolo said when he first came in, and I think it's quite traditional on the continent as well, he's like, Wednesday off, best day to work. So that was, I think we had about two Wednesdays off throughout the full entire season so, um, yes, he made a statement early doors. So,
2: you obviously were a, a youngster learning from the likes of Presley. When you came back, 28, a bit more mature, what was the wet-behind-the-ears gangly Australian like that you had to try and help uh, help mm-hmm. bed him into the first Be careful team? here, Webby.
3: Be
1: careful. Who, 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 who Dylan? <laughs> <laughs> Are you the real McGowan? Or, or the other version?
2: The one with the slightly poorer Derby record.
1: Okay, the mm. one with the long throw. Yes, that remember, one. Yeah, remember that time Billy took you down the touchline to practice your long throws?
3: <laughs> I remember
1: that. Yeah, I remember that as well. Ryan, come down here, let's, let's see your key attributes. Come on, take a long throw. There we go. Oh. <laughs> I think just even like that scenario going back and just trying, trying to be a leader in the group, so passing on my experiences, passing on my know-how, trying to help develop these kind of young, aspiring footballers as well. Maybe not always in the right context, the right manner as well, but always done with the best of intentions.
0: Was it like turning the clock back? And and were you Stephen Presley? And Ryan McGowan was Andy Webster?
1: Two things. I'm not sure I'm, I'm as ugly as Elvis and I don't know if Gow's <laughs> as good looking as me. So I don't know <laughs> if i all similarities end. But um, I think, yeah, absolutely. Just... You know, trying to help, I think when you get a bit older and a bit more experienced, you can focus a little bit more on helping everybody else. So when you're a young player and you get in the team, you only, and rightly so, you only focus on doing your job right. When you get a bit bit older and a bit more experienced, you can tend to focus on the team and how that functions and how you can help impact all of it rather than just your own Mm. part.
3: I remember Webby was not only, I'd say he was outstanding with me in terms of, everything that he said about Presley earlier, I feel the same about Webby when I was coming through. And, um, even on a personal note, I remember used to come back from games. And if Webby had said that I played well, I didn't really care what anyone else said, because I knew it took, took a lot for him to say that you'd done well. And at the same time, you knew that any criticism or any sort of shouting at, at me during the pitch or at training or wherever it was, it was with the best intentions. And, um, like you said, when he came back in, there was definitely a, a presence about him and and all the young players definitely held him in, in such a high regard that um, it was you know, really interesting listening back to um, you talking about Presley and the impact that he had on you. I feel that you had a massive impact not only on me, but a lot of those young players coming through at, at that time at the football club.
0: It's a managerial trait as well. I mean, Stephen... Tried manager, uh, tried being a manager and probably still thinks he can be a manager, which is is fine. Is it something for you, Andy, given how Ryan's just said what he said and and the things that you've done? I know you're with the eighteens right now. Is is being a manager something that you strive to be, or are you happy to be a coach and improve young players? What's the future?
1: I think on that. And obviously, I worked, Elvis was my manager at Coventry. He was, he was excellent in terms of mm-hmm. how he functioned. And they, they, were, a, they were a really high-performing team during that initial first three months. They had some outstanding players as well. But I think from that perspective as well, it's about, for me, it's the balance between being a manager and being a leader. So leading by example of how you conduct yourself is more important than being a manager and telling somebody what to do. So on that as well, even for me, like in terms of coaching, helping people be better. So whether that's, and also I'm dealing with under 18. So the human element of that, developing them as young people, but also developing the football aspect. So I think going back to the football and the coach, the football side of things as well, always trying to help people strive for the next level. So even like when Gowser's talking there about stuff, going, how do I help these people understand what it means not only just to play for Hearts, but what it takes to play at a high level and be consistent with your performances. So going back to the question about in terms of coaching and stuff, as long as I can have a positive impact on a group of players, then I'm happy to do that. Let's move on to Hibs,
2: because Andy, you like you you, you the Derby's, I think, because you, you scored more against Hibs than you did against any other side when you were at Hearts. Three in total, two of them at Eastern Road. And yeah, you can chuck another one in there if you really want, if you count the Festival Cup, which Ryan maybe doesn't even remember that. You were on the bench for the first 5-1 in 2002. Uh, you, were, you played in the late Phil Stamp winning goal. You played in the 4-0 game under Burley, the 4-1 game under Ricks. You played in the 4-0 semi-final, but they probably didn't top the final in 2012. I would imagine is is that your th- that your favourite game when you think back? You didn't have to do much, I know.
1: I was going to say my my favourite or my easiest.
2: <laughs> you let James McBake score though. I know. Oh,
1: I know. Sometimes you need to just be a nice guy. and Just allow other people a little bit of <laughs> adulation. That was great. That will one. These are the kind of things that don't sit well with me. But hey ho. Um, yeah. No, I think in terms of that, I think even like. Prior to that, that full season we'd been very good against Hibs. Yeah. And I knew without shouting too loudly out with the four walls of the, the training ground and the changing room, but I knew if we performed at a level, we'd be more than capable of beating them. We just having been to cup finals before, it's sometimes it's hard to perform at the levels you want to. So it's performing at the levels that are capable of winning the football match. And obviously, we had people who really excel that. they always remember it was probably Andrew Drivers best day of the season that day when he, he was he was excellent as well so we had and obviously we got off to a great start and you know you know things are, are going well for you when Darren Barr manages to score a goal.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> we're really taking the piss and does score.
2: <laughs> what was the what was the feeling like before the game was it an era conference in Orion you were saying there was a feeling of nerves and pressure because of what was at stake Did, how did you feel before the
1: game, Andy? I think just on that, the build-up to it as well, because the, the biggest game in both football clubs' history, you know, obviously Hibs have never won the Scottish Cup up until recently as well, and it just it's probably one of these games, that is, and I don't know, because maybe I'm a defender as well, it's one of these games that you definitely don't want to lose. I think the, the pain of losing is greater than the satisfaction of winning. That mm-hmm. might, from my perspective anyway, so... Um, no, I think in terms of the the pressure. Of course, there's going to be pressure. You it's hard to get away from that. But I think, with as I say, when you turn up to the training ground and you do what you do and you're preparing for the game, and you get to go out, it's just it's ultimately who can handle that that pressure and 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 uh, thrive in that environment.
3: What do you remember back leading into that week? Did you remember doing anything different, or did you remember anyone being different? I, I distinctly remember Blackie being a Big bag of nerves the whole bloody week. And then he was thrown up in the change rooms before the game. Did that you have.
2: Was that before or after he, he borrowed a cigarette from Paolo?
3: <laughs> Probably both. <laughs> but I, I always uh, remember you being, like you said, so very calm and collective and very much on the pushing that message of we just need to perform. And I remember as a youngster not getting too caught up from that and just not obviously believing you, but just thinking, yeah, we do actually need to perform to a level to win, but at the same time, was that exactly what you were feeling or were you feeling a lot more, Or shit, this could go wrong?
1: I think from a, from a personal point of view, maybe I'll always kind of err on the side of caution, but from, this is what the better go back to, like my Elvis and stuff, regardless of how you feel internally, you have to be perceived externally as if somebody who hopefully knows what they're talking about and is allowing other people to be in an environment where they're comfortable. Now, you go touched on Blackie there as well. If we're all acting in that manner, then we're never going to perform well. So sometimes you have to be aware of your surroundings and your environment, who's in that environment and what's going to help them best. And this is a bit for me, as I got older, it's definitely something that I got better at because when I was younger, it was matter of fact, straight to the point. And regardless, if you were Takis fesis who'd won the European Championships, or a young player, you got told, whereas the older I got, the more I kind of realised that it wasn't just necessarily how I wanted to give out information. It was about how people would perceive stuff, so how people would perceive me in that week leading up. I was quite, I would have said, yeah, quite calm, but knowing that fine well, that you need to go about your
0: business properly. I think that's really interesting. That's that's like saying, and it would be interesting for, to, for you as well, Ryan, how many Andy Websters were there? Because it sounds like there was more than one. It seems like there was a second one. There was one that was your public persona, the one that you gave what you wanted to give, whether it was to the media or, or whatever it was. What was the other Andy Webster like? What was the private Andy Webster like with friends and family in the build-up to the Cup final? From my perspective, maybe
1: Gowser might remember. Remember that Christmas night out we had down in Irvine? <laughs> yeah. 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 Not Irvine. Where did we go? Uh
3: down near the air, was it? Presswick or something?
1: Presswick, yeah. That, remember that?
3: Yeah.
2: Vaguely.
1: <laughs> we, we were there. What happened?
2: Remember it
3: Darren Barr?
1: Oh. <laughs> Darren slept at a petrol station.
3: <laughs> <laughs> someone, someone got a taxi back to wherever we were staying and said they pulled up to the petrol station and there was just some guy lying on the <laughs> at the petrol pump, and they're like, "Oh, fucking, look at the stay that guy!" And then he rolled over. And it was Darren Bar, <laughs> yeah. and he was the most quietest guy ever. And he's just gone. He just absolutely went for it. Oh, probably shouldn't have said it. Might need to edit that bit out. But oh, that was a good. Oh, a you, good you
2: cannot, you cannot tell us that Darren Bar slept at a petrol station and then asked me to edit it out. That would be grossly unfair. I, I tell you what, let's let's do something. I'll include both of you in this. So. <clears throat> I'm going to go through the... the. I'll go through the entire Matchday squad. I want both of you to... And I'll read out each player name. And both of you give me the first thing that comes into your head.
0: The, the, and that includes each, each other of you. and Aye. yourselves.
2: Yep. So I'll say the player name. I'll let Andy go first. He's the guest. Uh-huh. So Andy say the first thing comes into his head. Then Ryan, the first thing comes into his head. So let's go. I'll just crack on with it. Jamie McDonald.
1: Jamal, he... Wanted more adulation for a semi, semi, uh, semi-final performance than the final. But what a guy. Excellent. Yep, he's been
2: on. He's a good lad. Ryan, Craig, what about Jimmy McDonald?
1: Craig Gordon's love child. <laughs> <laughs> With okay, this,
2: this will be interesting. Ryan McGowan.
1: Well, as, as in took information on board and you could see that he wanted to do well and wanted to be successful.
2: Yeah, what he, he said. Could, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, Andy Webster.
3: Great at taking information on board. And <laughs>
0: come on, <laughs>
3: uh, my captain, or my my the person that I looked up to in that squad.
2: It's very nice. You two are being far too nice to each other. Yeah,
3: we oh. we we text before to make sure that we that were on the same. <laughs> mode.
1: Oh, Marius Salukis great guy, a great human being. For me, probably between the two of us and playing center back, he was quite the opposite to me and we probably complimented each other. He was quite quiet and on an even keel on the pitch, whereas I mean, sometimes I was a bit of a nutcase.
2: It <laughs> was a, a good balance between the two of you. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah just a, a great great human being. So just someone that you enjoyed being around and just have love, great memories love
1: of him loved the Scottish humour loved it absolutely bought into him it was great in the changing room
2: yeah he was really good Danny Granger
1: massive head <laughs> you <bowled laughs> <him> down <laughs> biggest head in football okay, can we tell a quick story about Dan remember when oh we yes, went back, yes, yes when we went back to place in Johnston also it was Dan's previous club <laughs> He had the worst performance ever. And I always distinctly remember that night going, if I ever go back to a former club, don't play like Danny Granger.
2: (laughs) That's that's a good approach. (laughs) Don't do a a Granger. Suso Santana.
1: Somebody swallowed him and swallowed a bag of cement. (laughs) I always remember he came back for pre-season. He was about seven or eight kilos overweight. And whoever can remember one of the boys, I don't know if it was Steve or that, said to him, Have you swallowed Suso? Because he was. <laughs> but do you know what he used to love? He used to love. He just put his foot on top of the ball and he would nutmeg everybody, hmm. but just could not run the length of himself.
3: Yeah, he was very angry, wasn't he? Yeah, he looked angry. An angry little guy. Yeah.
2: He looked like his head would explode, just getting raging. Um, Ian Black, probably talking about angry people.
1: Yeah, like a football caricature, you know, like the wee guy with the big head. <laughs> I don't know that's probably been said before by Blackie, but love hearts and was, was yeah, just did really well in his period at the club. Yeah,
2: Lord Farquhar.
3: Yeah. God, you God, you
2: um, I, I don't know if you can add any more to the next one, Darren Barr.
1: Another one, my massive dome. <laughs> <laughs> but what a great, one thing I say about Darren, what a great teammate. See, if you looked around and you wanted somebody to be in your team who would give you absolutely everything, every single day, every single match, it was Darren Barr. Yeah,
3: yeah, he was great. Even that season, he was sort of messed around a little bit, probably didn't play as much as he wanted. But every day in training, he was just a, a real model pro. And that probably comes back, he, he spent a lot of time with Presley as well. And he was from that sort of... Same cloth as no matter what his personal situation was or if he was playing or if he wasn't playing, um, he would always be training a hundred percent, and I think all his teammates respected that. So and he had a massive head as well.
1: <laughs> Rudy Scatchell, legend, goal scoring legend. Like just, I think obviously had the pleasure of both times at the football club, the first and the second as well. But yeah, and rightly so like put on a pedestal from the hearts fans as well because he had a major contribution
3: yeah he was just he was a lazy bastard but <laughs> you'd let him off because you were just rocking him in the he got me a four or five assists just from shit crosses that he volleyed in um,
2: <laughs> just you laying it off to him from five yards and he drives in at goal and hits him from 30 yards yeah
3: closing my eyes and crossing it in and then just him just whacking it in was he
0: the was he the one player that you would forgive for being a lazy bastard? No, in, in no, both of your careers. That.
1: No, I remember the first time round that ten Castle would be playing, and he'd have scored the goal or that, and the, the, he would be playing on the left midfield, and he turn around, and the fans would be going Rudy, Rudy, bowing down and stuff. Rudy during the match would turn around to the fans and start doing the same. I'd be like Rudy, there's a game going on, and obviously because I'm a defender, I like defending, whereas Rudy had no interest in that, so. As Dowser said, sometimes we clashed a wee bit, um, and he he didn't always like the words that used to come out of my mouth. (laughs) The second second time round with that, we were both more mature, so we had a bit of an understanding.
2: (laughs) As in, you understood that at that point you weren't going to get him to defend?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was was, uh, wasting unnecessary energy.
2: (laughs) Andrew Driver.
1: Outstanding in the cup final. A guy who looks like he's built for rugby, but um, no, did, did, did great. And uh, I always remember he, had, he used to have, I'm sure he had an R8 at one point when he was at Hearts as well, but we had to take it back because he gave him a sore back. i yeah. will teach him.
3: Yeah, he had hamstring problems and they reckon it was from yeah. his car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, great guy. We had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and I think everyone knows what a good guy he is and um, yeah, saved his best performance for the big day.
2: Stephen Elliott. Great team player.
1: Didn't get the adulation or the the credit he deserved, but was really, yeah, a clever footballer who was there for the benefit of the team, but didn't maybe score the goals that he deserved.
3: Yeah, very intelligent striker who was massively underrated throughout that season, or even, I think, his whole time at Hearts. If you watch back the cup final, like some of his touches, the way he pressed, yeah, he was... He's a very underrated striker um, and a great guy to go with it.
2: The only player who actually ever liked doing co-commentary cool with me, Mark Ridgers. Ugh.
1: He, Talk he, underwater. He's got some issues, or so you do, one of two. <laughs> great big guy. Do you know one thing? He came and he stayed with us for a period when he signed at Partick. He, I don't know if he loved the wrestling more than our seven-year-old at the time, but we ended up at the <laughs> WWE, the Hydro and all sorts, and he was the one who was... Down the punch shouting.
3: great. He had a great kick on him. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Couldn't save the ball, which was. <laughs> but you, could launch, you could launch it once the ball had gone in his neck, He was good at kicking it back.
2: Medi <laughs> towel.
1: What a talent and a, and a great guy as well. Boys used to give him stick, but he was he took it really well and he he taught me how to swear in French. So that was good.
0: <laughs> Do you still remember it? Yes. Go man, you
1: enculé. I can insult your mother as well, but I better not do this on the podcast. <laughs> Always remember, even like Jean Louis Valois and stuff. At like the first time we played Bordeaux, and I says Jean Louis, tell me something I can say. So he's like, he started off with Tamer, which obviously is your mother, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I picked up some, uh, and that's educational as well. So that was good. Yeah. Uh, great yeah.
3: training player. It was unbelievable in in oh, the five v fives and yeah. yeah, yeah. He was a uh, very technically gifted.
2: Dennis Pritchinenko
1: was deemed a, a, a free kick specialist. I think he scored one in the under eighteen away we at the one day. And, I think <laughs> was, and also and Dennis and to be fair, um, I remember he used to say that he used to sleep with his leg up against the wall so he, he could open up his medial ligament to allow him to get that sort of trajectory <laughs> on the ball, which if you think back to Hamden, it ended up landing on the roof kind of goal.
2: Scott Robinson
1: used to be quite an angry wee guy at training, but um, yeah. I just done really well for himself. But yeah, no, I think to be fair, he grew up being a Hearts fan as well. So yeah, just a, a younger member of the squad making his way in life.
3: Yeah, it was good. It was just he was really quiet when he was first in and around the pitch, and used to always do a job when relied on. He's done a, he's done really well for his career. It's good to see him playing well.
2: Craig Beatty,
1: Loved the bath.
3: Your bath, I was going to say that. Spend,
1: spend more time in the bath than he did on the football pitch. But um, <laughs> yeah, what, what, a, what a good guy. Just, um, yeah, just, just, and we all do, and I put myself in this category as well, struggled for a bit of mobility um, when he was at Hearts. But yeah, just used to turn the bath up to 100 degrees and, and lie in it.
3: Yeah, Monday to Friday he was in the bath and then he'd play on the Saturday. That's basically what he used to do. But yeah, he was, um, you could just tell he'd played at a high level and um, like Webby said, he's, he was struggling a little bit physically but um, he was exactly what we needed at that time and, and gave us a lift that season towards the end of the season.
1: And, yeah, and the penalty in the semi-final. That's the quickest I've ever seen him move after
2: yeah. he scored. <laughs> Sergio, the boss
1: brilliant but one thing I would say about that I don't remember having to stand before training for like 40-45 minutes and listen yeah. to him talk and it could be about anything, it could be about his house he was building in Portugal, it could have been about tactical stuff, it could have been about anything, he he could talk Yeah,
3: I remember we used to have like bets on how long it would go for before he would start training and um yeah he, he was very good at what he'd done but he also loved telling stories and yeah, just talking for for ages. And
1: boys used to sit down after a period as well. Everybody's be like, "Oh, my back's killing me." Or you oh. <laughs> should sit down in a circle. I can be like, right.
3: And, it was probably, he was probably the first coach that ever came in um, in such detail. Though, remember, he used to put up the yeah, yeah the sort of training. So before even training started, he would come in with like an A four piece of paper, and they would stick it up on the in the changing rooms, and it would have everything that you were doing in that training session in terms of like possession 5v2s or if you went into possession 7v7s, he would even have like who the bibs. So it'd be orange bibs, the seven players uh, who had no bibs, seven players, the two floaters. So he had everything planned out. You'd tell you this drill was 15 minutes, this drill was 20 minutes. Then we'd go into 11v11 shape and it'd have the two teams lined up there. So before you went out in the pitch, you knew exactly, you know, for the possession, I was an orange bib. For the starting eleven, I was with the bibs at right back, and for finishing, I was doing the crossing from the right hand side. So he had that all planned out, and that's probably the first ever manager that I had that that had that sort of attention to detail even before training went.
1: Did you see starting eleven, Goester?
3: For the bibs, for the bibs. Oh, sorry,
1: for the just, bibs, just yeah. He was. And what Gelser says is attention to detail was, was excellent. How he worked during the week was also excellent. So when it came to match days, he's like, I've done my work during the week. Team talks were all short, succinct. A lot of videos, two or three minutes, job done.
0: Another thing I
2: wanted to ask you about, uh, Andy, because you were at Hearts when, when the Romanov era began. You were there when, I guess... There was early cracks started to show. You were there a the second spell when wages weren't being paid. You, you played in the game in 2012 against St Mirren when it was billed as potentially Hearts last. That was after we got issued a winding up order for a £450,000 tax bill. Um, did, you, did you see something like what happened happening? Did you see that coming? And how important do you think it is for a club like Hearts that they are now fan-owned after all of that sort of turmoil?
1: I think due, obviously during that season, not being paid was a major issue for everybody concerned, and it had a real impact on the players. Now, normally when stuff goes on at a football club, players can generally tend to focus on the football side of things and leave everybody else to deal with what's going on. But I think to the level that it got to, you always felt that there would always be some sort of saving grace. But then you kind of knew when you would speak to people like David Southern at the club and they're going, no, we need to just rely on ourselves. We don't have any additional support from outwith or Vladimir Romanov and Yukio Bankis and stuff. And you go, We're, it's unsustainable because I even distinctly remember the season ticket money they got for the next season, but they'd spent it in the previous season. And you go, that's not good because obviously that's a major income for, for any football club. So it, yeah, it just I think we just felt during that season running out of steam, not just as a team, but as a football club as well.
2: Could you have envisaged that have got to the point today where the fans are the majority shareholder?
1: No, unbelievable. And obviously I've done quite a bit of work through my uni stuff as well about this. And I read Ian Murray's book, not the one from Hibs, obviously the MP, about (laughs) about, um, circumstances, and I was absolutely blown away when I read that like you don't see you hardly see any of that stuff in an external or from an external environment so when i read that book i was like wow and obviously i haven't looked far greater into what's going on i think it's just it's a testament to the fans of the football club and obviously people like Anne Budge as well but see when things like stuff hits the fan for any football club how they galvanized is is un, like remarkable what they did how they did it and how close they were, for, or how for the club to be become extinct. So, I think that it just shows you what a big football club Hearts is, and the, the support and the love that, they, that the fans have for that football club is, is is remarkable.
2: Do you still feel a connection to Hearts? Would you say? I mean, it's arguably where you've had most of your success. Will there always be a bit of your your heart that belongs at Tynecastle?
1: Absolutely. I think one thing that's been, or a few things that have been good for me, but having spent the large majority of my football career there and the, 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 the great times that I've had, and obviously there's been bits in between, and I get all that, but it doesn't sour the taste that I've had. And even the good thing, and Gowser will be able to back me up on this as well, even when I went back the second time, when you go back in an environment where you've got Jim Jeffries as your manager, you've got Billy Brown as your assistant, and you've got Gary Locke as a member of the coaching staff, you become immersed in the football club and you see that the passion that they've got and it just rubs off on you. So yeah. even things like, for instance, Walkie's record in the Derby is ridiculous and you just know what it means to people. So regardless if you're born a Hearts fan or you've been in that environment for a period of time, you become immersed in it and you know what it means, not just to yourself and your teammates, but to everybody else. So to have that connection is... Uh, yeah, and it's 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 something that will I'm, I'm sure Gauzes the same as well. Something that will live you forever. Um, just that affinity you have and affection for the football club.
2: I think that's a perfect way to to sum it up, Andy. Very well been, said,
1: there, Andy.
2: It's been a pleasure to to chat to you. Thanks for taking the time to do so.
0: No problem. Thanks for having me on. What's it been like, Ryan, being on with one of your heroes today? It's been great. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> nah, what a guy. Nice Thanks things. For coming shouting, on, on so
2: much now. Yeah.
3: Well, yeah, in <laughs> hindsight, looking back, you understand what it was, but I used to get a fucking earful. My left ear would be bleeding every game. <laughs> get back, get forward, stop the cross.
2: Now it's the circle of life. You know, you had Presley, yep. Young Webster coming through, You had Webster, Young McGowan. Now you're the the veteran. Now I'm shouting shat- at Abdullah
3: and Muhammad. <laughs>
0: And I'm sure they listen. In, yeah, I'm sure in, no. I'm sure in 10 15 no.
2: years' time they'll come on scars around the funnel and, and thank you for everything you did for them.
1: That the day you left. What? <laughs> I'm saying that's when they'll be thankful the day you, the day yes. you leave. <laughs> Next week,
3: <laughs> January the 1st. <sighs> uh.
2: Cheers, Andy. It's been a pleasure. Well, nice. Thanks, thanks Bob. Good
0: to chat to you. Thanks,
2: So that was Andy Webster joining us on Scarves Around the Funnel for, for a chat. Uh, and Ryan, your, your former teammate, speaks very well. He, um you think he's got a bit of a, a managerial career maybe down the line?
3: Yeah, I think so. It's definitely when you get asked that question of players that you've played with or have influenced your career, he's always someone that I think of and he's definitely someone who I can see becoming a a manager. And you, and you just got a little glimpse there of, of you know, how much of a thinker he is of the game, and and how switched on he is. Um, you, know, you can kind of come across as a sort of, no nonsense centre back, but you know he he knew everything that was going on in that pitch, knew everyone's role, and um, yeah, it was just a a really good player to have for myself coming through the ranks at, at that time.
0: I think Laurie, there's an element as well of respect, and and Ryan, the way that you speak about Andy, and the way that he spoke about Stephen as well. It, to be a manager, surely you need to be someone that gains respect um, from your players. Now, you've, you've got to earn that respect, but it helps if you are someone who has been and is respected in the game, um, and players are, are keen to, to listen to you, as opposed to someone... Remember when Villas-Boas went into Chelsea? Players just weren't having him. He didn't have that respect. Now, that's the player's fault, but he seems to be... Andy Webster seems to be that type of person that you just... You have respect for him, for what he's done in the game, but the type of person that he is and the way that he speaks as well.
3: Yeah, exactly. He was not only, I've played with plenty of players who can say all the right things, but then when it actually push comes to shove, they don't deliver on the pitch, whereas he seemed to tick both those boxes. You know, there have been loads of times that he's come in at half halftime, um, you know, in games that I've been involved in, and he's put his hands up and said, you know, I've been shit you know, I've not played well. So there's no point me shouting at everybody to say, you know, do better. I know that I'm not doing better, but for me to do better, everyone has to do better. And that kind of leadership in terms of not throwing everyone under the bus, of of holding his hands up, he'll probably disagree that it wasn't that many times, but you know, I've been in change rooms where he said, listen, I've not played well this half, but there's probably five or six of us that haven't. We need all to lift and we all need to perform better and um, yeah, he's, he was just somebody that you just wanted to play well. You know, not only for yourself, but because he just he made you want to be better, and he made you um, want to win games. And um, yeah, I, I really couldn't speak highly enough of of the influence he had on my career as a, a young whipper snipper, as he said, coming through.
2: <laughs> Looking ahead to Hearts present day, uh, we have our game against Dundee at Dens Park at the weekend. At Hearts playing a Dundee side have lost three consecutive matches, but have won their last two at home. 3-0 against Motherwell, 1-0 against St. Johnston. Hearts just one winning seven on the road, albeit that was the last game at Livy. Um, drew 1-1 against Dundee last time. Um, so looking at the team, Mark, sticking with a four or back to the back three, do you think?
0: Do we know availability of, of players? Is there anyone coming back, anyone missing out? Any
2: Beningame will be out to at least Hibs by the looks of it. Cami Devil okay. will be available for Dundee, but he will be suspended for the Ross County game after his yellow card against Rangers. Uh-huh. Other than that, I haven't checked okay. on any other updates.
0: Okay. Um, I wasn't sure of um, when the game that he would be suspended, so I'm actually quite happy that it's, it's Ross County at home and not Dundee away. I want us to go to Tayside and do what we did the last time we were on Tayside and, and control the game. I think that gives us a good opportunity. They, they are, they're a bit of, of, of everything this season. I still think they're decent enough middle to front. I think they've got options, and we saw that at Tynecastle when they brought on. I think they're very gettable at the back. I just want us to go up there and be able to control proceedings um, for a decent period of time. We're not going to be able to do that for 90 minutes. But we have to battle as well. They're in a situation right now. It's a dogfight down there. I mean, there's three points separating the bottom three and they could be overtaken if both Ross County and St. Johnston win their games in hand. So they'll be up for a scrap. We have to make sure we are as well.
2: Ryan, are you, are you confident Hearts can, can go and and try and keep that, uh, I to keep that run, but kind of keep up momentum away from home and get another win? Because it's where they've struggled on the whole this season.
3: Yeah, I think it'll be a test um, I do think it will be a massive test. I know that um, Dundee will be looking at it as a chance to get points. You know, like you said, they've three defeats in a row, but um, you know they've been tricky games that they've played. I think it was one of them was Rangers away, and, and the last time they played there, they had a great result against Motherwell, who had just beat Hearts 2-0. So they're a team that you can't really underestimate, and um, like what Mark said, they've got some really, really good players midfield to front that Hearts are going to have to be wary of, but I think it will all depend on the the first twenty minutes if um, who can sort of take a stronghold in the game and and who can score first we'll probably
0: go on to win it.
2: Mark, a scoreline and a scorer from you.
0: I'm wondering who comes in with Janelli suspended. Um, I mean, I don't know if Mackay Steven starts or not I'm still not convinced by Ben Woodburn. this is this is totally left field. Uh, MacinF to score in a 2-1 hearts win.
2: Okay. Ryan?
0: I'm going to go 1-1 one, one
3: with uh, Gary McCarthy's score. GMS.
0: 1-1? One, okay. one. Not, conf-
3: not confident then? I, th- I think this will be a tricky game. I think it'll be a okay. tricky game.
2: Okay. Yep. I'm going to go 3-1 hearts and I've, I'm going to Barry stick McKay! With I love Barry you! Ma- Barry so, so, McKay's score. You know, if I just keep doing it, you are going to be right one week, aren't you? It's yeah. going to happen. That's that's my logic right now. You okay. think we'll score well, three? Eh, why not? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no logic. So we'll, we will be back next week to discuss Dundee against Hearts, and uh, hopefully it's a uh, a good victory that we can chat. But hopefully, Mystic Meg Owen has not back on his back on his crystal ball this time around. Um, until then, hen, thanks for tuning hen, in.
0: Henry next week as well. Looking forward to that. And his, his song.
2: That's song. correct, Mr. Henry Smith. The whole world, the whole world knows that Henry Smith is coming on the show next week. So looking forward to that. Um, until then, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, guys.